0: My name is Wes Fryer and I'm coming to you from Oklahoma City where I am the director of technology at the Cassidy School and have been having quite the busy summer. Um, not quite the, the summer of professional travel that Dr. Knifer has been having. Um, uh, and you're looking quite festive today in, in the Hawaiian Thank garb. You. Thank I will say very much. So I will send it up north to. Jason, who is in Missoula, which I'm so happy you're not having a summer of fires, unlike Greece and other parts of the world that are just not doing very well with their fires.
1: Yes, thank you. The weather has been much better here, and uh, we're always a little cautious up until, you know, the first or second week of, of September um, where things start to die down a little bit. But there's been a couple of strikes that went out pretty quickly and a little bit of haze a day or two, but we've been pretty lucky um, I am Jason Neifer. I'm the Assistant Director and Curriculum Director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school located on the University of Montana campus in fabulous Missoula, Montana. And this here is the EdTech Situation Room. It's episode 101. Um, It is, I think you may have said this already, but I'm going to say it again, July 25th, 2018. And we did take last week off. Um, Wes had a prior obligation, and I was in Orlando last week at Fabulous Blackboard World, where a little brag, where my organization won the Blackboard Catalyst Award for teaching and learning uh, based on some designs we've been working on in the last couple of years. And uh, we don't talk a whole lot about online learning on this podcast, but at some point I would love to kind of have a conversation about one of the things that's really changed our organization is uh, really looking at taking, it doesn't really matter what learning management system you use, Blackboard, Moodle, Canvas, uh, Schoology is becoming a popular choice for a lot of, of, of distance learning programs, but um, it really pays when you spend time figuring out um you know, what the what what learning management you can do with your learning management system. So taking all the bells and whistles and gizmos that come with that system and doing cool things with it. So it's nice to get that uh, information acknowledged. So there's been a lot going on uh, the last couple of weeks. And um, and part of it, part of it, because so much goes on with this stuff. Uh, part of it is, is it's hard to know if we've talked about some of these pieces or not, or maybe alluded to them in the past. But Wes, where would you like to start this evening?
0: Oh my goodness. Um, well, let's see. Um, gosh, I should have picked this up. Well, let's, let's start with, with kind of a, um, an outlier article that I think I've been holding on to for a little while. This is, um, Rushkoff, um, who, Douglas Rushkoff, who wrote, um, a great book, uh, Program or Be Programmed, and is definitely far left of center on the political spectrum. Um, but he posted to his Medium channel, a very interesting article called survival of the richest the wealthy are plotting to leave us behind and um it's it's pretty dystopian um in terms of he got hired by this really wealthy bunch of uh of of I guess billionaires and investors uh to talk to him about you know ai and the future and employment and you know w- what they need to do to Prepare for uh, the future when when the the have-nots you know far outnumber the haves, and it's just a a real uh, ugly scenario in terms of of the the, the way that automation uh, what what it's done to employment and um you know to society. So um, yeah, I, I'm not going to say that that I definitely buy all of that, um, but uh, have, have your views changed at all, Jason, in terms of your your dystopi- perspectives on on technology and our trajectory. I mean, I've, I've tended to be very positive and uh, I think we'll talk a little bit. I'll mention, I'll get into the show notes, a great, great video lecture that I watched, um, um, this last, uh, this last week, um, by, uh, well, I'll, I'll pull it up. Um, we'll recognize the name, but anyway, it's just talking about the ways in which, uh, well, I guess it's, this is the the tweeted or this is the pinned tweet on my, um, on my uh, profile right now. So this is Zephoria on Twitter, um, who is Dana Boyd, very noted ac- academic and as uh, established and credentialed as you can, can possibly be uh, in the world of academia as far as her master's at Harvard and her PhD at Berkeley. Uh, and and uh, I, t- I titled my post uh, that I wrote about this, Understanding the Weaponization of News Media. But um, I don't know. It's just... Are you as optimistic as you were 10 years ago about technology? I'll just ask it that way.
1: Well, you know, and it touches on a topic we, we, we go back to quite frequently, right? Like, you know, obviously Wes and I are both very big technology advocates and we feel the power of technology ourselves. And we've seen what technology can do in the hands of students and teachers. So that brings a very positive notion to it. But I mean, it's pretty hard in 2018, not to feel like we may be headed down a road that if we're not extremely cautious about could turn into some sort of dystopian future and, um, you know, and and I, you know, I, I I, I, we're not a politics podcast, but obviously the 2016 election did spark some concerns related to the news media and, and broadly social media as it impacts elections. And in fact, one of the stories uh, I, that I'm going to point to today is the, the one that kind of bounced around uh, the kind of nerdy media of the last two weeks is the notion that. Um, apparently a number of voting machines made by a major manufacturer shipped to states ended up having a a very easily accessible backdoor um, and a network protocol that allowed it to be easily opened up to interference by uh, outside actors and of course everyone thinks of Russian hackers at this point as outside actors at the election but I think if we don't have these conversations we're inevitable to face the worst possible future in regards to these particular technological advances and you know we've talked a lot in the past and, and And I could see where someone might perceive that, you know, when we talk about things like universal basic income or the changes in labor or the challenge of robotics, you know, as be maybe not applicable to the core of our topic, which is educational technology. But all these things matter together. Right. Like there is a bigger picture here than just using technology to empower students in the classroom. We owe it to ourselves and to our students uh, to spend some time thinking about if technology is the right tool for the job, if for no other reason than introducing a technology that could down the road turn into something dangerous or dystopian um, or, or even apocalyptic. And and I realize those terms are dramatic in, in, in their interpretation. Um, that's... That, I think it's a real thing, right? And we have to be extremely cautious about that. And you know, even if you want a little piece of it, right, all this talk about digital distraction right now, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we need to think about it in terms of a counterbalance that, you know, as technology can empower, technology can do many other things that are not as, as positive. And so, you know, we, we have to be conscious. I will, I'm,
0: I'm really thinking about this for digital citizenship. Uh, one of the things uh week after next I'm looking forward to uh, is a video conference with Susan Bearden. Uh, one of our book reads for our, our school this summer has been Susan's book on digital citizenship, a community approach. It's a very short book, very fast read. Um, but, you know, thinking about the degree to which the, the things that Dana Boyd and I may even break down this video because I, I think, it's interesting. I won't we'll forecast your Geek of the Week, but your Geek of the Week is is a website that really does break a lot of news today. And it's also influential in terms of, of the ways in which folks can go down rabbit holes. And um, she talks about 4chan and the ways that Twitter uh, has been weaponized by extremist groups, as she'll say, in some cases for the LOLs, the LOLs. Um, but there's, there's really a series of different events. Pizzagate is one of them that happened during the 2016 election. Um, or I don't know how many people are putting the pieces together and it really has to do with the ways in which, um, well, it's not, it's not in this case, it's not Silicon Valley setting the agenda, but folks with access to technology really are able to direct the attention of the world and mainstream media, uh, in different, in, um, you know, to, to, things that, that they, they want to have. And anyway, two, two other things that I've been listening to lately, the latest twit podcast has a great conversation about this. And I, I, you know, how shocking is it to, I guess they they call it, you know, the, the old capital, you know, it's, it's old media, uh, but it's old industrialists in terms of the, the Trump presidency and the ways in which Twitter is being leveraged And the ways in which, you know, Facebook as well, I mean, these media platforms um, have become visibly more influential than they ever have before. And so I think it's important for us to not only understand, for instance, what has transcribed in the 2016 election. Um, but you know this evolution. You've talked about, I think, the correction that we're seeing now uh, multiple times on the show, and I totally agree with that because we're having this perception that that companies and social media have been able to develop unregulated for so long, and that relatively white male homogeneous you know groups not not completely but generally of, of individuals. Um, have developed technologies, perhaps without an eye to the ethics and to the implications, you know, the impacts on society, the impacts on democracy. So one other link that I dropped in after your motherboard article that you mentioned about the voting machines, because this, this brings us to the midterm elections in 2018. It brings us right. to democracy. It brings us to a lot of really important societal things. And I think that this isn't, Fringe conversation. I mean, we're not just talking about stuff that, yeah, just the geeks at your school or whatever need to talk about, like grappling with the ways in which social media has really changed the landscape of of uh, democracy and of of discourse. Those those should be mainstream conversations today. Um, This is an article which I'll admit to you, I have not completely gotten through. I was just actually reading this last night, but this is wired from June 20th. Um, and the title is "How an Entire Nation Became Russia's Test Lab for Cyber War," and this one is really delving into it's the Ukraine and the ways in which Russia has been at all-out war with the Ukraine, and they've been able to actually take down the power grid several times, you know. And so sometimes on the show we end up, you know, having this sort of Chicken Little, uh, perhaps, you know. Um, uh, meme that's going here, you know, about w- wondering about where all this is going. But uh, wow, do we ever need to have white hat hackers and, you know, a variety of different folks in, engaged in the creation of code, the shaping of, uh, you know, of social media technologies, um, and then, you know, being able to also think about, you know, truth and critical thinking and vetting, you know, who do you believe and how do you determine that and authority and all, all kinds of things. And this is, um, it's, it's an alarming article. Um, but I, I think I need, and maybe, maybe I'll just do this for fun. Um, you know, thinking about Stuxnet and how important that was as far as that cyber weapon that was used against Iran, you know, to spin up the, the centrifuges and the way in which that then became released. There's different things that have happened relatively recently in, um, technology, in, in the technology world as it relates to hacking and as it relates to social media. Um, the, the one thing that I guess, was mentioned a lot by Dana Boyd in that video was the ways in which people can go down rabbit holes and be radicalized, uh radicalized in their political views. Um and um, you know, I just it it just makes me wonder uh, you know, how how kids are grappling with that, how families are grappling with it, because it is a really different world. And it's not just like, oh, there's porn, you know, kid kids can can fall into that pit. Um, I mean there's you know, really, really right-wing, you know, racist stuff. I think we've probably mentioned on the podcast um, the series uh, Caliphate. Have we talked about that? Mentioned Caliphate? I believe we have, yeah. Okay. I don't know if I'd add that as a Geek of the Week, but, oh, my gosh, in terms of radicalization and insight into the, the war in Syria. But, you know, uh, it's it's it, these are all... These are all really big, big kinds of issues. So anyway, been doing some reading and thinking about that, and, and I would say I am certainly um you know optimistic about the the positive power of technology to, to be used, you know, constructively. I, I guess these are just stories that that verify the power of these tools and the importance of us in school um, you know, Addressing them and, 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 you know, helping, helping students have that conversation about not just appropriate use and responsible use, but about citizenship, um, and the ways that those are, are being used. Cause it's just, you know, it's like there's never been a better day to be an educational technologist, to be somebody involved in, you know, you, in helping, helping other teachers and students use these technologies and right. the seriousness of the issues. I mean, at one point it was like, you know, are you, are you blending your class? Are you, you know, you, you have an online component? I mean, I don't know. I just think the, the levity and seriousness of, of these kinds of issues that are being brought up and that we're seeing in, in mainstream media. It's, it's much less fringe and, and perhaps that's why we're situating it in the digital citizenship context. Um, you know, it's conversations that everybody needs to have. So.
1: All right. What would well, you like to take? Well, no, go ahead. Well, I'm just going to one, one last comment about this. You know, I think if you're not at least in a minor way struggling with this, then, um, you know, to be quite frank, I, I think you need to start to a little bit. And then I, I, we're not the only geeks that are having, um, you know, some uh, second thoughts are not the word. We're just struggling a little bit with this stuff, right? Like I, um, you know, I, I, I. Uh, my wife has not left Facebook completely, but has created a kind of a clever strategy for 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 preventing herself from getting on. Uh, which is that she it only goes on via the the either the a desktop or a mobile browser, and has uninstalled the app and she's created a wickedly long password that's difficult to type in. So she gets on every you know week or so, maybe a little bit more. Sees the stuff like you know. Pick pictures of her friends as kids and pictures of people on vacation and hiking and thumbs up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the super bottom line is, is that, um, um, uh, you know, she's, uh, um, you know, is taking that action there, right? And I think that, that that's an example of where we, we have to start having mm-hmm. some philosophical questions about how all this matters. Um, I bristle a little bit when people, when I talk about my program, which is a distance learning program, where, you know, people say things like, this is the future of education. I don't think it is. I think the future of education is, um, I think it's, it's maybe more personalized, it's more direct one-to-one, and technology will almost certainly be a part of it. But I don't want kids sitting in their home taking online courses is the only option. I think it's one of many great options that are available, but I don't think it's going to replace a classroom or replace a school or replace a district or replace schooling in general. I think it's one of many interesting options that could best serve the needs of individual students. And so, um, you know, I am very uh, interested in thinking about, you know, how the future goes and 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 how those pieces work um but you know it's really important that we have these philosophical conversations because it's a big piece of of, of what we do and 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 how we get along in in these fast processes so
0: shout out to Peggy George who's joining us live in our chat room Peggy we're so glad that you're back with us and we do want to let everyone know our links are available on edtechsr.com/links there is a Google doc there that has far more links that we will have time to talk about. Where would you like to take us next? Dr. Neifert.
1: Uh Let's, well, let's do some of the geeky stuff because I, I think that might get us back uh, to, to talking about <laughs> things that are not depressing. The news, Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so uh, first, let's talk about some Apple stuff. So I know there's a uh, there's an article about iOS that, that you put in uh, Wes. I want to talk, you know, like maybe this week in in in, in Apple hand but But um, so a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not sure if we talked about this or not, Apple announced a big hardware refresh in its MacBook Pro line, and suddenly all these new, very advanced processors and fast. Um, uh, RAM is available in that line. And, um, you know, I I think one of the things Apple is struggling with right now is um, obviously they're knocking consumer devices out of the park, right? Because iPads and iPhones are a dominant force in, in particularly the United States market, but also in a worldwide market, but it seems like their traditional products, which will include desktop and laptop computers, um, aren't getting the attention that I think some of the super Apple fans think they deserve. And so interestingly enough, one of the MacBook uh, Pros that was released had an i9 chip in it, and for those of you that um, don't keep up with Intel's uh, nomenclature for chips, i3, i5, i7 have been the levels of chips available for the last nine or so years. And the i7 was its fastest chip generally for power users. i5 was kind of the average chip, the middle ground chip. And then i3 were generally consumer level devices. Well, um, there's a new MacBook Pro that has an i9 chip in it, which is an incredibly fast chip, a very, 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 very speedy chip. And yet Apple put it into a laptop that is not designed for the i9 chip, or at least it appears so. And because uh, the more modern chips tend to throttle their speed when they get too hot, this chip uh, ends up slowing down to where it's not noticeable at all. that uh, um, you know, the chip is um, the, the or the chip is super fast, and so I I think you know I I, I keep waiting for Apple to I, I know they've noticed this. They're not ignorant to st- that. They're not noticing the you know I think the the discontent amongst their community, but it feels like yet another misstep on the part of, of of Apple to take care of the pro users that I think they very much need. Um, there's actually a YouTube channel that, now that I think about it, I'll, I'm going to throw in there where I've been watching lately where a gentleman has been takes a lot of older Macs and talks about whether or not they'd be useful in a new context, and more often than not, they are, but... One of the things that that he talks about is that, you know, modern Macs are very expensive and they are very high end pieces of hardware. But it doesn't seem like that investing a lot of money in a modern Mac laptop is worth it for a lot of, of average users. So, um, Wes, what, what is what is your what is your daily carry Mac look like for you right now?
0: it's a uh, 11-inch uh macbook so we're still for teachers macbook air that's you know and we we talked about that on the show we're going to approach another uh refresh cycle hopefully in Og- october right because that's when apple is rumored to come out with uh other new devices which could be some some kind of new device will they maintain the air you know what what will they do um yeah that that's my daily carry i uh have considered perhaps Moving to a Chromebook in terms of, you know, proof of capability, um, uh, in, in a few, in a past life, in a, in a future life, no, in a past life when I was in Texas, uh, this was back in the nineties. I, I don't know. I, I learned a lesson about, um, you know, how important it is to make sure, uh, teachers are not slighted in terms of the kinds of technologies that, that are purchased for them. Right. And, uh, just not, not cut, you know, and it, it influences me today as we, we look at devices. And it's, it's, it's frankly an, an easier way out to just say, well, let's just go ahead and stick with the MacBook Air, um, especially um, one of our divisions that we're gonna be refreshing this year. Um, it's our primary, it's our, primary. They, our pre-K and our K teachers. They, they really don't use projection. Um, you know, a Chromebook would be, would be fantastic, but, you know, and, and this remains to be seen and it's not all my decision. How all that plays out. But my recommendation at this point is going to be to stick with a MacBook. We don't want them to feel slighted you know, as teachers because everyone else has that MacBook. But I laugh because it's the same conversation that kids are having with their parents. And parents are coming to me frequently, hey, what should I get? What do you recommend? And I'll generally say, what are you doing? Okay, a Chromebook will do all of that, right? Unless you're doing real heavy video editing or you're gonna be doing, you know, engineering. I mean, even our son, who's, you know, gonna be a junior this year at Carter School of Mines and Mechanical Engineering, I mean, he's got a MacBook Pro and he can dual boot into Windows to run um, you know, the the design program, SolidWorks that that he needs to run. Anyway, everybody wants a MacBook. <laughs> or not everybody, but a lot of people do. Does everyone need it? No, not so much. The the Chromebook is definitely Great. uh an incredible powerful. Um, I will uh reference that other Mac article um, in that series uh, Apple releases iOS eleven point four point one with USB restricted mode we've talked quite a bit on the show about privacy my eight month affair we'll just put it that way with Android um, I'm back to my to, to uh, an iPhone with uh, a an Apple what 6 plus but <clears throat> anyway, those were concerns about the ways in which customs officials and, and others can take a phone like an iPhone and rapidly, you know, suck all the, the data off of it. And once that data has been acquired by Egyptian authorities, U.S. authorities, whoever, you know, it's there in in the virtual ether of the cloud to be hacked and, and grabbed by whoever. So glad to see Apple doing this. Uh, USB restricted mode means that if you have not, I think it's like 15 minutes If you haven't had your um, Mac um, on – okay, if it's been more than an hour since your iPhone was unlocked – then the iPhone will actually not allow supposedly a USB accessory to just plug into it and suck all the data off of it. Now, I'm sure there's, you know, hackers that are going to be addressing this. Um, but I'm, I'm glad for this. I received a phone call a few weeks ago from one of our area uh, tech directors in one of the larger urban districts who had some board members traveling to China and were concerned about these kinds of issues. And so I was talking to him about Chromebooks and also about Android and about, you know, things that they might want to do as far as profiles and data and stuff like that to delete. You can get too, you know, carried away with your paranoia about all this. Um, But at the same time, you know, these things are happening at the border in terms of stuff being seized. So um, I'm excited to see what Apple is going to come out with in October. Um, The rumor sites I've been reading seem to indicate a fairly significant um, update, you know, for for their, their laptop line. Of course, what I'm really holding out for is that rumored hinge it's not a, actually rumored i mean they they have a patent on right. a hinge that that looks a lot like the microsoft surface book and so you know if apple could pull off some kind of touch laptop um that is is either an ipad hybrid or integrates touch then that would be pretty interesting on Saturday. I was able to do a short workshop on literacy apps for the Chromebook for a wonderful local group called WizKids, kids. And they're a tutoring group um, predominantly in our lower socioeconomic schools. A donor had purchased 200 new Samsung Chromebooks, which are the flip over, uh, I guess yoga. I don't know if that, if that is the yoga model, but it's the USB C only model. And so anyway, I was, um, playing with those and showing folks, you know, different literacy apps to use. And that that definitely feels like a laptop of the future, right? I mean, no standard USB port, USB-C only uh, for charging and for peripherals. Uh, but being able to flip over and, yeah, go, go to town. Touching your screen. I can touch the screen all I want, but it's right. a laptop, so well,
1: and, you know, and I, I'm still surprised that, that Mac has been so, so slow to, uh, respond to, uh, the touch movement. And I, you know, I, I, I don't particularly, you know, I, I can certainly use a laptop without touch, but now that both the Windows laptop I have access to and the Chromebook I have access to have touch, I do miss it when it's gone. And, um, and my guess is, is that, you know, as, as, uh, mobile devices become the dominant, a place where people engage with technology that's just going to train us to, to need or demand um, um, uh, touch as, as an interface. So um, let's talk some Google stuff. Um, big, big news last week was that the EU has fined Google $5 billion uh, for antitrust violations and, what I'm sure is, is a familiar, uh, uh, refrain from 20 years ago when Microsoft was fined somewhat similar amounts of money. At least in terms of, of inflation, uh, for bundling things with Windows or forcing things onto Windows, uh, Google is fine for the same thing. In essence, the complaint says that uh, Google only allows you to use Android with the Google Play Store only if you bundle within a certain list of applications. So, if you, and Android is open source software, so you can go download it and do whatever you want to with it. In fact, there's a number of, of interesting projects and, and, and services that utilize, or, or hardware platforms that utilize Android. You wouldn't recognize it because it's not for a phone or a laptop or or tablet. It's instead for something, right? An Internet of Things device or a technology device that's not immediately, doesn't scream cell phone, but um, that if you want to put it on a phone, then you have to also put Gmail on there. You need to also put the other mandatory Google apps and those have to be must must install um, applications that can't be uninstalled. And the EU says that that is an antitrust violation and um, you know worthy of, of $5 billion in fines. Now, interestingly, um, Google has not, really faced much scrutiny from this, at least from investors. Their company actually increased in stock price in the last couple of weeks uh, despite that announcement. And Google um, itself uh, through Sandar Pichai, the CEO of Google um, and and leader, no, Sandar Android or Google, I think it is Google, um, says that he believes, and and I I think there's some credibility to this argument, that Android has brought a lot of diversity to the cell phone market because you can buy incredibly high-end cell phones uh, with Android on it. You can buy literally $25 cell phones with Android on it. And obviously those are vastly different experiences, but the marketplace is pretty diverse. So, Wes, I know you've moved back to the iPhone platform, um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think we can both agree that, you know, iOS is a better platform because it has a competitor, right? Like the, they both push each other very aggressively. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed that, that the EU has gone in this direction because I, I think that Google has done a lot of good here in regards to cell phone platforms, but at the same time. You know, I, I think we have to be conscious that you know there are only two you know, viable uh, platforms here. Microsoft uh, has not really worked out, and Tizen is Samsung's platform for cell phones, and that's gone nowhere, right? There's a handful of Tizen devices in Asia that are popular. But um, any, any thoughts related to the antitrust piece?
0: Did we talk about the settlement with Samsung and Apple? I don't know if we ever mentioned that on the show.
1: Yeah, I think we might put a link in, but I think we get to, we, we got to it. That was
0: a, that was a pretty significant thing that finally drew to a close. You know, Steve Jobs had sworn at one point he would, you know, spend Apple's last penny to destroy Samsung for the ways in which they ripped off multi-touch and the iPhone. Um, and so eventually, as often happens with litigious anger, you know, the lawyers were the big winners, and folks ended up settling, and so all of that has come to a close between Samsung and Apple. Um, but you know, this is, I think, somewhat related. I, I totally agree as far as the benefits of having competition. We've talked about is or um, you know, phones and you know, T-Mobile, you know, versus AT and T, and all of that. Um, so it's uh it's it's really interesting to me that Europe. Um, is leading the charge of the correction. And I don't know whether this fits into a a tech correction as well. I think there's danger in Google and some other companies getting looped or getting, even in the perception of, of us voters, taxpayers, et cetera, you know, Cambridge Analytica, Facebook, all of that, you know, that that a lot of anger against maybe tech companies and their power and their influence kind of gets rolled all together. Um, So anyway, the EU is definitely being, uh, more aggressive at this point with financial penalties, and then also with the GDPR, the general um, general what general regulation of on privacy. I'm I'm not getting that exactly right, but anyway, the the privacy legislation in Europe and the ways in which um, you know that, that we'll we'll see how that is enforced. Um, so I, it's incredible to see how much money Google spends on lobbying, right? I mean, they have uh, in the U.S. and then I, I'm sure that's that's occurring other places. Um, it's going to be important that folks don't break the internet, right? You know, GDPR <laughs> and some of these other things that are right. saying, "Hey, you've got to have all the data here," you know, in our country. Or right. I think it's more saying you've got to you've got to document exactly where, but maybe you have to give options you know for people to to delete but i mean the internet's built on this idea of of uh, of free and open sharing and so anyway there's all kinds of unexpected Conversations and consequences to what has been unleashed with respect to the internet. So right. I hope that amidst all of this, we're going to maintain maintain competition and consumer choice, and, and we're also going to continue to be advocates for sharing in the positive right. and constructive uses of all these technologies because they are incredible, even though, unfortunately, we sometimes have our attention, and even mm-hmm. on this show, perhaps, on some of those more negative uses.
1: Yep. Um, and then a couple other interesting things um, First YouTube there's a new version of YouTube that's running around and apparently it's uh, it's a and I'm not sure if it's, it's widely implemented yet but basically um, it, it, it's much faster than previous versions of, of YouTube but only if you are on a Chrome browser because it utilizes a specialized uh, 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 some kind of call in the Chrome browser that makes it pretty fast on Chrome and not as fast on others but I posted a quick link there from the verge from today where you can actually, um, uh, tweak other browsers to make YouTube faster in Chrome. So, like, little nerdy hint. But the one other thing I thought might be kind of interesting to talk about is that the um, the Chromecast, which is uh, Google's. Um, Android-based device for plugging into televisions to stream video and audio. It is five years old today. And the reason why um, it it caught my attention, other than I am a pretty prolific Chromecast user, is that there was a lot of discussion amongst the kind of technology discussion boards and and blogs about how although Chromecast is, is a very popular platform, that it seems to be fairly stagnant, um, in in development, there's just been two editions of it hardware-wise and, and not much more update than that. And that a lot of people still find it to be somewhat difficult to use, even though it is uh, uh, in many ways a vastly superior product over Bluetooth, including the ability to send video first. And then secondarily, it uh, really decreases the battery use of your mobile device when you're uh, casting something is, is the nomenclature for that uh, term to a television or, uh, um, um, or a, a music device. So, uh, Wes, are you still a Chromecast guy in your home, or are you still you've can asked Apple TVs? Where are you at right now with that?
0: Well, we definitely still have one, and periodically I'll turn it on literally as as just a screensaver um, on, on one of our TVs. Um, we're primarily Apple TV, so that is where we're we're consuming our media. I still haven't seen Chromecast come to the enterprise in terms of enterprise management at school. Um, in fact, the best suggestion, shout out to Vanessa Perez, one of our Oklahoma librarians that's out in Clinton. Um, what she did down in Lawton, I think they do in Clinton when they want to wirelessly connect uh, a Chromebook, is they just plug it, plug one into the HDMI port and they use, um, I don't remember if it was uh, Belkin or what the... Uh, it was a wireless keyboard actually that has a little trackpad on it and they can just pass that around the room to different students. And so with a little, you know, USB dongle plugged into that Chromebook that's hardwired, um, the keyboard moves around wirelessly in the room and, you know, students are able to bring up whatever they want on the Chromebook. I thought that was pretty genius and we actually may pilot that, uh, technique at our school. So. Yeah, I haven't done a ton of additional experimenting because we're just pretty happy with, with the Apple TVs. I'm continuing to use YouTube all the time on the Apple TV. In fact, staying up on Hawaii and just what's going on with the volcanoes there, the volume of, of lava that is coming out of the earth, you know, in Hawaii is just astounding. And anyway, YouTube is my source for that. And a lot of times when I'm just wanting to get, you know, watch some YouTube, I'm doing on, a, on Apple TV. I want to pull up two related articles to topics you were just t- t- touching on. Number one was fines coming from the European Union. So this is a Time article from July 11th. Facebook uh, is facing its first fine over the Cambridge Analytica privacy scandal. Um, interesting that this is coming from London. Um, a U.K. government office that investigated the Cambridge Analytica scandal announced its intention to fine Facebook five million or no five thousand pounds which is about six hundred and sixty three thousand dollars for failing to safeguard that information and of course this is this is facing its first fine so the fine itself has not been been put out there's a lawsuit that's been filed Um, but i think we're probably yeah going to continue to see this of course that always happens in the world of litigation those that want money find those that have lots of money and they file court cases Um, but anyway that was kind of a long those same lines. And then the other related article, um, and this is, I, I don't know, well, the, 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 this is actually a security article. So I guess this will take us uh, a little bit of a, a different direction in terms of mentioning security. But I listened, I'm, I've been listening to the Twit uh, podcast today, and they had mentioned this article. This was Tom's Hardware on July 19th, 2018. Uh, backdoors keep appearing in Cisco's routers. Yeah. Uh, it relates to some of what we've talked about as far as that iOS article that Apple is, is giving users some more privacy control over their devices so that you know a security uh, entity, um, customs, or whatever won't just be able to suck data off your device. This is like the fifth backdoor that Cisco has found um, or the, and that has been found in their routers. And this is really just stunning um, in the... Uh, Twit podcast, and I'll put a link to to that in the show notes. They say, you know, Cisco, like many huge companies, is actually lots of companies together, and so I guess right. the business unit where these um, these backdoors have been quote discovered is, I mean, that's the same unit that's been having them. So, anyway, this whole idea of whether or not backdoors should be there, um, this is stuff that's actually, you know, I think put into. Well, it's hardware as well as, as software, but uh, anyway, that is that that's a big issue that continues to be debated. You know, there are folks that think we really need to have those backdoors available so that you know entities like uh, security services and others need to be able to you know get in and uh, see things and do things. But once the backdoor exists, it's open for all kinds of folks to use. So that therein lies the dilemma.
1: Absolutely. And then a couple quick Microsoft things, Um, first and foremost, and I actually think this would be a relatively compelling product, maybe not for me, but for a lot of teachers that are in districts that have gone all in on Office 365. But uh, it's, it's hard to tell if this is real or not, and there's been some conflicting information to say whether this is true, but apparently there is a suspicion that sometime soon, based on a confirmation from a Microsoft Store employee online, that there would be a Microsoft phone soon, not a Microsoft OS phone, which is what the, they've stopped developing the Microsoft phone OS and um, have really abandoned that platform, but instead, the phone would be Android but heavily uh, overlaid with Microsoft apps and Microsoft services. And and The reason why I find that to be somewhat of a compelling piece is that I did um, earlier this year, and I believe I talked about it um, here on the podcast, I did take a, um, a spare phone and uh, started over from scratch and did did exactly what this phone purports to do. I installed a number of Microsoft apps. I made them the, the default. So the Mail app was the default Mail app, uh, Cortana was the default uh, Voice Assistant. Uh, The default uh, browser was the mobile edge browser, and it became a fairly functional Microsoft phone, you know, well integrated into my, you know, personal Microsoft base account. And um, I, you know, I, one of the things that, that uh, my kind of partner in crime for PD and I, Mike and I only talk about all the time is that, you know, in a lot of cases, your district is going to make a decision for you of whether you're going to be a Google school, you're going to be a Microsoft school, and and you may be able to lobby to go in one direction or the other, or you may be able to, to help make that decision. But if your district has made that decision for you, there are plenty of ways to you know, figure out how to make those platforms work for you in a way that you can be very productive, even if you prefer the other platform. And in fact, I work on projects now with folks that are all in on Office 365. And if you get the apps downloaded and get a kind of a functional workflow for it, it works just fine. And so it's a pretty quality scenario. So I would be very excited if, if Microsoft decided to go in this direction, because I think that's a really cool use of Android um, to kind of create a Microsoft phone. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and guess, West. That doesn't particularly – that wouldn't, like, to bring you back to the, the Android architecture.
0: <laughs> well, okay, to be fair, and that's a good thing to talk about. I mean, I had one of the lowest-end Android phone – new Android phones that I, you could get, right? It was 140 yeah. bucks. So to be fair, I really need to evaluate, and I certainly still hopefully will, um, evaluate a, a much more modern – well, not modern. It's modern, but just a higher end right. Android phone. So a Pixel phone, for instance, or or a Samsung Galaxy phone, uh, even if it was one or two back. The the Pixels, I I think we're seeing them around maybe two or three hundred dollars, as far as the Pixel ones. Right. Uh, and I had wondered about that. Um, so I definitely have made this shift to I'm not I don't need to spend you know a thousand dollars or whatever you know. The top, the top dollar is on on the top phone. I mean, it's right. just, yeah, that that's really um, chasing vanity more than it's chasing function uh, in terms of what you need. Um, right. But it, you know, and so that's good news. So hey, when five G comes here and kids are able to download, you know, multi gigabit right. or gigabyte, you know, DVD size files in in uh, you know five to ten seconds or, or somewhere in that ballpark, you know that. That's really going to be crazy because we're we we have reached a I don't know inflection point. We're reaching the inflection point, the tipping point. I mean, when you look at what's happening with, um, oh gosh, I'm, my my brain is is being. Uh, Slowly. I'm, I'm just getting older. What's the game that everyone's playing now that's, you know, taking the world by storm?
1: Um, I haven't
0: paid it, uh, played it yet. Oh my
1: goodness. I, how do I not think of this? Cause I had a kid playing it every day here for. All um, right. All right, Peggy,
0: here's your chat room test. Um, I'll just um,
1: Google game
0: taking over the world. <laughs> it's going to be Fortnite. Thank you. So thank you, Google. Um, out of uh, yeah. four four 4.1. Billion results, googling "game taking over the world" <laughs> <laughs> is news hub Fortnite video game taking over the world. All right, so Fortnite right. is this you know uh, game that so many kids are are playing, and it's a free game, but they've made so much money because you can do all these add-ons and things to, I guess, your clothing and how you look and appear. Right. You know the the capability of the smartphone. That is a huge part of the Fortnite phenomenon. Is the fact that so many you know teens and tweens are carrying around in their pockets, and you know uh, older folks just startlingly, startlingly powerful computers that that have uh, tons of power as far as graphics and and what they can do. So anyway, I need to I need to give a a higher end Android. Yes, Peggy did. She came up with with Fortnite, but yeah, we we had a race there.
1: And then one other big or interesting piece of Microsoft News is that uh, Microsoft Teams, which is their collaboration, uh, platform. I don't really know how to describe it because I, I, it's, it's, it's part of the, um, it's, it's kind of their, their version of Google classroom sort of kind of sort of, um, but, um, I've used it in context of, of, of the work I do with NCCE, but, um, as a, just a chat platform, it's, it's kind of like Slack and, and I'll admit, I, I'm not sure how this, how I missed this, but the Slack revolution Kind of missed me. Like I, I never really jumped on many Slacks, and I know a lot of people that spend a lot of time on Slack and in really vibrant communities. There's a, there's a big Slack in the classroom movement and that sort of thing. But um, Microsoft had released this Microsoft Teams. Uh, app uh, last year that was available through Office 365 and and especially the campus editions of that, and so it became kind of the de facto Microsoft Classroom. But there's now a free version of that software, and the idea here is it's going to try to go head-to-head with Slack, but it has all the integrations into the Microsoft tools. And so if you are looking for a collaborative piece of software, and again, when I do work with, uh, there's two or three teams that I, I am on a Microsoft team account on that I've worked on with projects, and it, it's pretty solid. Um, and I have to Uh, say, Google's answer to that, which is Hangouts Chat, is what I use now uh, to collaborate with my team at work, but it's just not quite as functional as, as either Teams or Slack. And Microsoft, or sorry, Google
0: remains somewhat fractured today with regard to messaging. And we're probably so. going to see something dropped and something emphasized. Um, I think, um, and I don't use Skype nearly as much. Peggy and I and others were, were on Skype all the time with K-12 Online for a decade. Um, I've heard and read folks say that they really don't think Microsoft has been paying much attention to the regular, you know, Consumer base, they've really gone for enterprise customers, <clears throat> and so Skype isn't what it used to be for individuals. Um, you know, Google is is fractured with a couple different messaging platforms in addition to Google Hangouts. You'll have to help me, Jason. What what are the other Android messaging? There's a cross-platform one.
1: There's Duo is one Duo. of them. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Well, and to be honest, like I'm I'm a big Google Android guy, and I don't use any of those. Right. Like I mean, I use Hangouts because that's my work chat and. uh my uh um uh, da, 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 my work uh video conferencing solution and obviously we use hangouts to record this podcast uh, you know I, one of the biggest mistakes google's made was when they when they when they originally released hangouts as just a a a in their, in our video interactivity platform making that like a necessary a necessary Google Plus part when it was quite obvious almost immediately that Google Plus was not going to take off as a social network. They should have immediately unbundled that. And I I think Hangouts is amazing, right? Like I – compared to other, you know, when I, and I, I'm on a campus that has a campus-wide uh, – a license to Zoom available. And we've previously, uh, uh, in my organization, licensed um, GoToMeeting, which was a a nice effective platform, but Hangouts is as good as those and it's free. But I think they've lost a lot of opportunity to, to basically dominate the video chat market, by making that a Google Plus only for its first couple of years,
0: and, and I'll share before a quick Microsoft Store story. A shout out uh, to Cheryl Oaks and the webheads and Alice Barr. I mean, it was just not very many years ago when, in order to do this kind of live webcast, and of course, this is the maturity of the web. You know, it really took a lot of technical savvy uh, with different programs and what was it called? It wasn't SoundCloud. It was. Uh, sound flower that would take yeah. audio yeah, yeah. from, you know, one channel and create another one. And in order, it's just like the magic, you know, uh, recipe that you had to have in order to do a live webcast. So the fact that, that we can just, you know, open up our laptops, I can ask my wife to stop streaming Netflix <laughs> and we've got, you know, our bandwidth is is good. And, and here we go. It's a, it's a show. It's recorded. We download the video Uh, put it online. It's just, it's phenomenal. I mean that, that kind of capability. So I, I would expect Google to continue um, to maintain the hangouts platform because there are so many gamers and others that, you know, rely on that. I mean, they're growing out Twitch, right? Which I think didn't Google buy Twitch, which Uh, Amazon bought Twitch. Oh, Amazon bought Twitch. Okay. So competing, competing platforms there, but yeah, the world of, of gaming and, you know, watching gaming for entertainment and, and all that stuff is, continuing to grow. So it'll be interesting to see what what they do in terms of uh, consolidating perhaps some of their uh, messaging platforms. I'll tell a quick Microsoft story since we were talking Microsoft a little bit. I was at the Microsoft store, uh, which we have here in Oklahoma City, as well as an Apple store, a couple times this month. And we have a new communications director that uh, really wants a Surface Pro. So uh, getting some information about that and then getting another Surface repaired. And uh, they're about to have uh, next week. I, I won't be able to attend a uh, a Windows Go, am I saying that right? Device uh, rollout because these are the first Windows S laptops that they really think are the the Chromebook competitors. So right. the the folks there were talking that up, and I was like, you know, show it to me, show show me how easy it is to manage it. If it's if it's as easy or easier than the Google Admin Console and you know Chromebooks, then you know perhaps. But I, I you know Microsoft has a long way to go. Google is so far ahead, um, and you know there's a tendency in i t for schools and others in the enterprise to um, right. really weigh heavily when you make those decisions that you were mentioning the decisions made for you <clears throat> to look at management um i I'm excited about the improvements that have been made with the iPad particularly excited about you know the price coming down and the functionality with the pencil and et cetera and so we're uh, Going, continuing to go down the road of of multiple devices at school certainly, but uh, yeah, we'll see what what Microsoft has 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 to to show off with these Windows Go devices. I mean, they're right. they're continuing to iterate, but hey, that that's how creativity, you know, eventually does work. Um, Very true. Be pretty interesting to see what Apple's going to come out with in October. You know, Apple has that capability to set the standard for the industry with something amazing and new and entirely new. You know device line or whatever, which I'm not saying they're going to do that, but I kind of, I actually, I kind of think Apple is going to be following the market. And that's why, as we've talked about Chrome and Chromebooks and, you know, high tablets that, that, you know, fold over and, and convertibles, yogas, all of that with touch. Um, I'm I'm becoming increasingly convinced that that that's the device of, of the future. It may or may not have a detachable um, actual uh, screen, but, you know, being able to touch the device, draw on the device, um, you know, we have these Lenovo Chromebooks that we refreshed um, a couple carts with this summer, and this will be the first time to roll them out. That any number two pencil with, gra- you know, graphite pencil is the stylus. So we, no need to buy an eighty-nine dollar educationally discounted Apple pencil. Here's your number two pencil. Start, you know, doing your math problem right. with so your interesting. stylus on the on the Chromebook. So it's that I'm really excited to see how uh, how that
1: is utilized.
0: Where else would we like to go before geeks of the week? We've got a little well, bit more time.
1: One, one just interesting article. This is from uh Paul Therott site, therott.com. And it, it does inspire, I think an interesting question about the future. Like it, we, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of talk the last uh, couple of years about the fact that PC sales and by by I mean PC sales, I mean, you know, laptops, desktops, right. Um, it, it it's been dramatically decreasing over the past 6 years. And so the the article talks about how there was a a very ever so slight tick upwards in PC sales um in um uh uh the second quarter of of 2018 and and the reason why i mentioned that is because um i think there's a couple things behind that but um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of mobile computing, obviously, although I will tell you that, that I don't use a tablet almost ever anymore. It's basically my cell phone, my laptop, and then when I'm able to sit at a desk, a, a desktop computer... But um, there may be some, you know, redirection part of that. I think part of it's because the, for the longest time, six, seven-year-old PCs were probably good enough in a lot of cases, uh, including Macs for that matter, that the hardware lasted quite, quite a long time, where new computers are that much better than five- or six-year-old computers now, both in battery life, size. Portability, resolution, screen, and that could be part of the, the piece. But we talk a lot about how your mobile computing is taking over, but there is some, some small signs of life um, in the uh, computer realm. And what I didn't look, I was going to look a little more deeply to find out if Chromebook's were considered to be part of, I'm certain they are, because I don't consider them mobile you know, mobile devices in, in the ilk of a um, a phone or a tablet. But I thought that was an interesting you know, piece of factoid that there seems to be at least a, a steadying out of, of sales.
0: Peggy has dropped, dropped a couple of good links into our chat room. And one of those uh, was actually a Diane Ravitch article about these uh, making guns at home on the 3D printer. I think those were some articles I didn't get um, Moved over, and we may even want to talk about that, you know, in the next show. Boy, it's huge. Uh, there's a settlement for a, a court case because we didn't, we haven't talked about that on the show, have we? I don't think we've, we haven't had a show for so long. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll put it on. We can talk about it more, but there's a settlement. Uh, the guy who put the first, uh, recipe for a 3D printer in order to print a gun, uh, has settled with the federal government, and he's really a, a very, you know, fringe, you know, gun, gun rights, guy, but it, you know, anyway, it's, it's fascinating. So I will, I'll drop that article in for us to, to, you know, read up a little bit more on and talk about, but in, because what it does is it combined the first amendment for free speech with the second amendment, the right to bear arms, and it says code of speech. And so it's a fascinating, you know, um, I don't know, have the, have the fancy words. It portends very dramatic things, you know, for the United States when, Anybody who wants to is going to be able to uh, download these instructions and uh, print a gun. And it's not from your typical, you know, plastic um, ABS, you know, 3D printers. There's milling machines and more, more advanced 3D printers. But anyway, Diane Ravitch had, had a, a post about that. Let's see. Uh, let's mention uh, one more article. Uh, this is in Gadget from July 23rd. I thought this was fascinating. DARPA pushes for AI that can explain its decisions. Talk a lot on the show about AI, machine learning, the way in which Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, has talked about you know the AI first uh, focus of Google, and the way that we're seeing this race play out between uh, Apple and Google, particularly, but also Amazon and Microsoft for artificial intelligence and machine learning. And so one of the, the challenges with machine learning is that. You um, could end up with a, an algorithm that is created essentially inside a black box where you 've put inputs in and you 've trained this device um, to you know be able to have a particular outcome, but you don 't really understand how it 's working and what it 's doing uh, because the code that it writes which is which is what machine learning is able to do you know isn 't um, certainly commented and explained in in a, in a human um, you know, in a way that's going to, you know, take the programmer in mind and say, hey, the next person who opens this code and views it, you know, they can view my commented code and be able to see how this is structured and understand it. It could be very unintelligible. And so DARPA um, <clears throat> has some projects, DARPA being the Defense Advanced Research Agency of the U.S. Department of Defense, um, is putting out some projects on really kind of a shorter uh, turnaround than they, they sometimes do for their other projects and they're wanting uh, artificial intelligence tools to be developed that really um, give insight into into how they are doing what they're doing so I thought that was pretty interesting and again I've, we've had some some books recommended in the past you know for geeks of the week about about darpa and, and things like that it's consider that we as consumers are about 10 to 20 years behind where the Department of Defense and DARPA is today with their technology. So if they were able to talk on the record unclassified, then I'm sure it would be an even more Ian Jukes. Can you believe it? It's so amazing. Look what's happening to the world type of
1: experience. So,
0: wow. 116 degrees in Phoenix today. How, what was the temperature today in Missoula, Jason?
1: Uh, 94, I think, although it was a a nice, uh, nice dry hot. So,
0: yeah, it's been low low 90s here as well. Well, we are at the top of the hour. It is time for the Geek of the Week. I'm going to actually share Peggy George's Geek of the Week first, that she's dropped into the chat room. This is a screencasting tool, um, by the way. If you don't follow Peggy George, P. George on Twitter, you need to follow her because she is very connected with all kinds of online professional development happening. And also amazing tools like this. So this is Loom. The website is useloom.com. And it says send a video, not a thousand words. It's a screencasting tool that works in the Chrome browser as a Chrome extension and lets you screencast your full desktop or your current tab. And yes, screencasting. That's a very important digital literacy tool and probably one that all teachers and certainly would benefit students to be able to do as well. So Geek of the Week from Peggy. Jason, what do you have for us this week?
1: Um, I have two. Um, The first one is that uh, I've mentioned this, I think, several episodes back, but I did write a a brief Medium article about this. Um, If you are a Chromebook user and you either hate your trackpad because it's one of the low-end Chromebooks and it's got a bad trackpad, or you prefer an external one, um, I have discovered that uh, two things work really well with a Chromebook. The first one is that you have one of the now uh, somewhat rare... um, uh Logitech uh, uh windows based uh, uh trackpads they are little us micro usb charged trackpads um it's it's called a T650 that works great with a Chromebook and the gestures uh, uh chrome gestures work on that those unfortunately are three hundred dollars plus new now because they're they're pretty rare and a lot of Windows aficionados like them. But I've also discovered that the first generation of the Apple Mac, uh, or I'm sorry, the Apple Magic Pad, which was the uh, pad released, I think, is eight or nine years ago now. They're pretty cheap uh, if you buy them used on eBay. And it turns out in my organization we had three or four of them sitting around in a box. Um, but it's become my go-to carry with a Chromebook because the gestures, Chrome gestures, work really well on it. So. If you like a big trackpad, um, and or you're disappointed, you've got a low-end Chromebook, or if you just like an external one, that works really well. Um, so uh, the uh, Magic Pad works great. And then the other thing I want to mention, um, I'm st- part of my technology correction in my head is is thinking about obviously there's a lot of, of, of bad actors in the world in regards to these new powerful networks and yada, yada, yada. But I think one of the ways we're gonna seize back technology to the productive side of the world is by realizing and, and promoting when those technologies are used for good. And so Reddit is a great example of this. Reddit is, uh, it, it can be a, a massive troll fest, uh, especially in some of the rooms that deal with politics or ones that are kind of purposely um, uh, focused on on, on disrupting uh, pl- political realms, but um, in the last six weeks or so, I've not only started participating on a number of Reddit boards, I mean, my account was literally 11 years old. I logged into an old one, had to recover my password and discovered that my Reddit age was like 11 years old. So I've had one for a long time, but I've participated in some great conversations about Chromebooks, Um, some hobbies of mine. Um, I check them every day and I've started searching there first when I have a technical problem and uh, four out of five times in the last week when I've utilized it as a, you know, kind of a resource, there had been a discussion that either directed me in the right direction or answered my question. And so I think one of the ways we're going to, we're going to seize back these technologies from those that sought to use them for no good is by using them for good. And so, um, you know, uh, it's also a shockingly amazing uh, trove of animal uh, pictures and videos so if you like a good cat cat photo uh reddit is is your site
0: I'll comment on your apple magic pad that is my favorite trackpad because it's battery operated the yes. new ones um you know you have to charge and I don't know there's there's a lot of benefits to being able to throw a couple double A batteries in. So that's a wonderful device if you can still scrounge one up on eBay or in somewhere in your organization. Um, My Geeks of the Week, really quick, are a website. I'm kind of surprised that we haven't used this before, DocHub. Uh, Shout out to Eric Sappington, who is our new middle division makerspace teacher and computer teacher. He's the one who who shared it with me. Uh, DocHub is what I use to annotate and sign PDFs. So it's entirely web-based, working on your Chromebook or, you know, whatever kind of of device you're using can log right in with Google. Um, You get so many free signatures per month, and then if you want more, you can pay more. I don't end up signing that many PDFs. Uh, and so it's, it has a neat little exchange where you'll send yourself a text message and then you can sign on a, on a uh, smartphone or a tablet using a stylus. If you don't happen to have a touch device, As my laptop is not touch. And then that signature gets put into your DocHub account and then you can use that and resize it whatever. So use that all the time. Love it. And then real quickly, also a little documentary. Discovered this on the Discovery Channel's Apple TV app when I happened to just open it up. And it's called This is AI. It is a documentary by, uh, IBM. I think sponsored primarily by them, but really, really a great dive into the world of artificial intelligence, uh, different events that, that we and our students, I think, need to understand, uh, you know, in terms of where AI has come, you know, as far as beating Gary Kasparov in chess and what happened with, uh, with Google, with, with Jeopardy, um, and, um, you know where we're going next. Uh, it's very contemporary because it talks about that latest. I think I think it was Watson where it's debating, right? And, and I don't know if you've read up on that. We may not have had that article in the show uh, where where they've got Watson now uh, formulating uh, actual debate um constructive speeches. So there's there's yeah. no cross examination with Watson, but they're having real live debaters. And so they've got a, a I think a high school debate coach and she debated in college, you know, talking about that and the ways in, in which we're seeing AI continue to, to grow and develop. And so you know, th- think about it. this is the world that we are in and growing into is that doctors are not, they can't now today read every, you know, study that has just come out in their field. They, they simply can't read every single one. And so this whole idea of the augmented human mind that we're going to be able to utilize these different tools and AIs. And yes, it could have this dystopian effect on you know jobs but there's also a possibility of new jobs and other things being created right. but you know the doctor of the future is going to be so much more better informed and powerful because of these these AIs that they're going to be able to utilize just like a a debater who's not going to be able to survey you know 3 million articles in the in the two minutes of prep time that they you know that they have for their constructive speech, um, but the computer is going to be able to do that kind of thing, and it's pretty fascinating uh, to see the computer being able to use humor. And of course, it's all this is algorithmically programmed, but th- that kind of a development. So highly recommend that. And if you're teaching any kind of computer literacy class, and you're going to be talking about artificial intelligence and in introducing students to it, it is free, and it would be a great tool to, or great documentary video to show to your students. So this has been the EdTech Situation Room, episode 101. Usually we are here on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Mountain. Um, and we are thankful again for Peggy George to be able to join us live. Jason, where can people find you as they would like to continue to learn with you throughout the week?
1: I am on Twitter at TechSavvyTeach and I blog for the Northwest Council for Career Education Tech Savvy Teacher blog, blog.ncc.org. And uh, for those of you that are interested, next Tuesday our- – uh, no, I'm sorry, next Wednesday, August 1st, 2018, is the deadline for uh, applying to to present at the NCC conference, uh, ncc.org, uh, where your application is most welcome. And I am currently working on a couple of different articles. Um, I am almost done with my um, six apps that every teacher should download to their phone article. And I'm also starting to work on staging for an article where I will be during a busy time of of my workday. I'm going to try to use a cell phone as my only computing device from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. and see if I can pull that off as a productive user of tech based on some great conversations I've had with parents and some outside folks that have contacted my organization wondering why a student couldn't do something entirely via phone. So I'll look for that, and I'm hoping to take some interesting videos about that. What about you, Wes?
0: I am W. Fryer on Twitter, and I'm uh, blogging at speedofcreativity.org, although I see For some reason, my domain is not coming up right now, so I want to (laughs) check my website. Isn't it fun to manage WordPress websites in today's hostile uh, computing environment? Uh, I've also been this summer working with my wife to do some Make Media camps, and so we have published our curriculum and what we've been doing with these one-day camps on makemedia.com and are going to be doing some of those in the fall as well. So we want to thank you for tuning in. Please follow us on Twitter at EdTechSR. And let us know if you're listening to the show. Jason and I would love to hear from you. Hey, good, my website actually did come up, so it hasn't been zapped off the, the internet by Russian hackers. Um, and we'd love to hear any topics or things like that that you would like to hear us address. At some point, we have promised it for weeks, and yes, it will come someday, we will have the Chrome Show. But other than that, we uh, would love to hear other topics that you might like us to tackle in a special uh, show. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, actually uh, reach out to us. We do that periodically. And until next time, we encourage you to stay safe and stay savvy. Good night.